Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn, please, to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. We're going to wrap up the history of the revolt of Jehu. You all remember Jehu, right? Nope, some of you are already forgotten. Oh, Micaiah remembers Jehu. Hannah remembers Jehu. All right, good. Some of you remember Jehu. Jehu's an interesting character, isn't he? Well, this week, as we were having family Bible reading on a few different days, my kids objected. We were reading back in Joshua about Achan, and my kids wanted to skip the chapter. And I asked why. Because we don't like what happens at the end. I caught one of them plugging his ears. Don't like what happens at the end. And then I, I had the crazy idea of doing exactly what I told all of you to do this week, and that's to take your family Bible readings and reread 2 Kings chapter 10 and do the family Bible reading. And so we were going to take turns reading it, and I had again an objection. We don't like that chapter. Why don't you like that chapter? Because we don't like the way it ends. We don't like any of it. How many of you agree with them? Boy, some of you must not know what's in that chapter. Yeah, I don't like that chapter either. It's a, it's a terrible chapter. And can you believe it? We're going to go to that chapter again today? Well, we didn't finish it last week, so we got to finish the last part. But there are some very important things we need to spend a little bit more time on in this chapter. Because there's some, there's some ugliness in this chapter. And we need to take some time to understand it and know what significance it has today as well as it had way back in history. You know, sometimes we read about these accounts in the Bible and we just read about them. And we may not like them, but sometimes we don't like them so much that we don't even think about them. Or we hear them taught, and when we hear them taught, just what does, what's the point in it all? You ever thought that way sometimes reading your Bible? I know I have. But you know, when we have that thought, the solution is not to go, oh, it doesn't matter and go on. No, the solution is to go, what, why is this here? Let me tell you about a verse that's been really important to me the last few months. It's, it's actually found in the book of James. And it's a question. It's a question. And the question is asked this. Doth the scripture say in vain? Now, what's that mean? Well, it's a question. What's it mean, Elijah? Does the scripture speak in emptiness, he said. That's a good way of putting it. So when we read about Jehu and we read 2 Kings chapter 10, we need to ask this question. Does the scripture speak in vain? Does the scripture have emptiness? Why would God record 2 Kings chapter 10 and the history in 2 Kings chapter 10? Isn't that an important question to ask? To ask, why is this here? Because we know it's not in vain. God recorded it for a reason. We know it doesn't have an empty purpose or an empty reason. 
or a meaningless reason, there's a reason God recorded it. Now, we've talked about a few of those, but I'd like to spend some more time in doing so. And you know, sometimes we become familiar with Scripture, and sometimes we just accept it because we know it's in the Bible, and God said it, and so it's true. And we just take it. And, that, and that's good. That's what we should do. But did you know that sometimes we ourselves, and sometimes we may find ourselves talking to people, and, um, and they, they don't like this either, but they don't like it for different reasons. They think that this must be what Christians think ought to happen still today. And it makes them afraid. It makes them bothered. It makes them not want to be a Christian. Because I don't want to be like Jehu. Now let me ask all of you Christians, how many of you Christians want to be like Jehu? Well, none of you. Why? That's interesting. Why not? What did Jehu do? Why did he do what he did? Is, is Jehu back there? Your majesty, King Jehu, former general, now king of Israel. You want to come on up here? Where did we leave him last week? What was going on? Who remembers? Who remembers where he was? Hannah, where was he? He had what? Oh, yeah, that wasn't very... Mm. She just brought up the worst part of the whole chapter. He'd taken the heads of Ahab's sons and put them on either side of the gate. But we went beyond that, didn't we? And he ends up coming to Samaria. And on his way to Samaria, he found a man who was a spiritual leader in the land. And does anybody remember what he told that man as he came up into the chariot with him? Micaiah? Elijah, what did he say? Come and see my zeal for the Lord. Now, what does zeal mean, Elijah? Fire. What's that mean? Somebody help him out. A big person. Excitement. What was the word? Enthusiasm. Yes, I am going to do things for Jehovah. Right? He gets to Samaria, and when he gets to Samaria, he executes judgment on the remaining house of Ahab, the remaining, those who remained of Ahab in Samaria. And then, what did he do? He proclaimed a feast. And, and do you remember what he said? He said, Ahab served Baal how much? How much? A little. Is that true? No, Ahab served Baal big time. But he's making a point. Ahab served Baal a little. And then he goes on. But Jehu shall serve him much. Now, does this sound like zeal for the Lord? Yes or no? No, no it doesn't sound like zeal for the Lord. 
So then he calls for the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. And he says, let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal. And oh, by the way, anyone who doesn't come shall not live. So everybody gathers together. They come into the house of Baal. And it's full, jam-packed full. And he has them all put on the fancy garments of worshiping Baal. And, and, and he goes to Jonadab and he has him. Look out. Are there anyone here? Is there anyone here who worships Jehovah? No, only the worshipers of Baal. So then as they begin to offer the burnt sacrifices and the offerings, Jehu squirted four score men. How many is that? Eighty men. Is that right, William? Eighty men outside. And he tells them this. If any man who I have brought into your hands escape, he that letteth him go, his life shall be for the life of him. He's saying now of all these people in the house of Baal, none of them are going to survive. They're all to die. And so in the middle of all of this, he commands these 80 soldiers to go in and slay them and let none of them come forth. And so that's what they did. It tells us they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out went to the city of the house of Baal and they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burnt them and they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a drought house unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. So was this zeal for the Lord? Yes or no? I heard a no, but real faint. In the family Bible readings, I asked a question about this. And the question was this, was his zeal genuine? So here he's, last, last, last week we learned about some of the things he did. And, and there's a problem here, isn't there? There's some things he's done that he was supposed to do. It was prophesied that he would do it. Not only prophesied, he was told to do it regarding judgment upon Ahab's house. But he's gone beyond that, hasn't he? Last week in Jezreel, he not only executed Jezebel, but went on and executed also all of the princes and the great ones of Jezreel. He went beyond that. And there's another reason why we think he went beyond that, or not think, we know he went beyond it, is because later in the prophet of Hosea, it says that the judgment was going to come upon Jehu's house because of what had happened in Jezreel. But not only that, he arranged for the execution of all the sons of Ahab, which you could say was again a fulfillment of the prophecy. But he's on his way to Samaria, and who does he meet on his way? 42 of the house of Judah. So these are not family members or descendants of Ahab. And remember, he had them arrested. And then what did he do with them? He had them killed. That wasn't in the prescription. So then he comes to Samaria, and then he finishes off the rest of the house of Ahab. We could debate what that exactly means, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It was as commanded. Then he does this. And this sounds good, right? Right? Is it a zeal for the Lord? 
Well, let's look at verse 29. Albeit, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. So his zeal for the Lord, he comes and he destroys Baal. I don't know if it was zeal for the Lord or just political advantage. Because immediately it says that he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He did not depart from the worshiping of golden calves. The golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. The one that the first king of Israel had set up that had caused so much trouble. He didn't depart from them. And the Lord had something to say to him. And this is an interesting statement. It says, The Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well, done well, has he done well? Well, let's keep reading. Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, huh? And hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, meaning that the execution upon the house of Ahab was right in the eyes of God. He says, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Now you might say, well, there you go. He's rewarding him. Now think about it for a moment. Can you think about it? What is different between this promise made to Jehu and the promise made to David? Anybody remember? William, what is the difference? That's right. God promised David that his descendants would be on the throne forever. And he, only to the fourth generation. Remember a few weeks ago we learned about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me? God is basically telling Jehu, you've done things that you're worthy to be cut off right now. But because you've done things that are right in my eyes, I'm going to be long-suffering. But you know what? Jehu's children to the third and to the fourth generation don't have a zeal for God. They hate God. And really, in some ways, Jehu... He hated God too. Remember a few weeks ago in Exodus 20, God says to them about idolatry, and then he says that he's a jealous God, visiting, that's judging, visiting them with judgment, the iniquities of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy to the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Jehu here does not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. He worships the golden calves. And now look at verse 31. He's warned. God warns him, basically. God is telling him, you've done right in executing judgment upon the house of Ahab, just as I had willed it. It is well. But you have done sin. And hearing this and being warned of this, 
Does Jehu go, oh, I ought to love God and keep his commandments. I need to fear God and do what's right and trust him. And look at verse 31. It says, but Jehu took no heed. That means he refused to listen and he refused to do anything about what he heard of the law of God. He refused, he took no heed to walk in the law of God, of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam which made Israel to sin. God brought discipline, judgment, even in his day. He allowed him to continue as king. But it says, in those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short. And Haziel, remember that? And remember the prophecy that was given to Elijah? He says, go and anoint Haziel, king of Syria, Jehu to be king of Israel, and Elisha to be prophet in your stead. And then he went on, you remember, and he said, those whom Jehu will not kill, Haziel will kill, and those whom Haziel will not kill, Elisha will kill. There's a judgment that's going to take place. But you remember when Elisha anointed Haziel? Here's what Elisha was talking about. Here, Haziel smote them in all the coasts of Israel, from Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, from Arnar, that is by the river of Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Haziel just rips up the other side of the Jordan. And you remember when Elisha had anointed him as the next king to do so? What did Elisha do when he anointed him? Does anybody remember? William remembers. Who else remembers? Ethan. What did he do? He cried. Why did he cry? Because he was knowing what Haziel was going to do. I don't even want to repeat what he told Haziel would do. And Haziel said, no, am I a dog? Like, I wouldn't do those things. But he did. And it's not stated here, but we know from what Elisha said, he did it. He did it. He did horrible things. It was more than just a judgment. It was more than just an execution of righteousness. He went on and, 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 and just abused, tortured, and mutilated people. Horrible, horrible what he did. So bad that when even Elisha thought of it happening, he cried over it. And then we come to verse 34, and, and you know what? That's it. Look at it. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? That's not our book of the Chronicles. It's a book that's lost to us. The day-to-day agenda and activities, like the congressional record of the kingdom. And Jehu slept with his fathers. And they buried him in Samaria. And Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his stead. And uh, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jehu, just a moment before you die, die. It says, and the time that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 20 and 8 years. You reigned for 20 and 8 years. And all we know about is the first week. Well, no, we do more. We know that he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. That he continued in that wicked idolatry. 
in all those 28 years, he was harassed by Haziel. And he's dead. So now I got a few questions. Do you have some questions about this chapter? I do. But I want some helpers to come help me answer these questions. And so as I've been looking around here, I think I've picked out some helpers. Elijah, can you come up here? And William, you come on up here. And Jackson, you come on up here. Owen, you come on up here. Charlie, you come on up here. Did I see Gavin over there somewhere? Yeah, there's Gavin. Gavin, you want to come on up here? I got six chairs. Can you guys pick a chair up here? You know what we're going to do? We're going to take some of the questions of our family Bible time, and we're going to talk about them, okay? And I want you guys all to listen in. And, and maybe I might call on you to help us out. Because you know what? We got some really hard questions. We got some questions that are probably awful hard for these six guys. You think they can handle it? Well, if not, you, you're going to have to help us out, okay? Oh, I should have told you to get your Bibles. Can, can one of their siblings of each of them run their Bibles up here if they don't have their Bibles? Because we need our Bibles. All right. Hannah, can you bring William a Bible? Okay, I have this paper here for you. Oh, good. I have just enough. Now, we have some easy questions. Start off, don't we? What's the first question there, William? How many sons do they have in Samaria? You guys know the answer? 70. 70, you're right. He had 70 sons. What happened to the 70 sons of Ahab? They got their heads chopped off. Yeah. How many of you think that's nice? Nobody thinks that's nice. How many of you guys think that's nice? No, they got their heads chopped off. I will step that question. Now, let's look at verse 11. So 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 11. You all following with me? 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 11. And this is the question. In what ways did Jehu go too far? He killed his great men and his kinsfolk and his priests. Okay. Now, of those different people whom he killed, who was he supposed to kill? Read all of them that he, he killed there, listed. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his kinfolks and his priests until he left him none remaining. Okay, so of the house of Ahab, was that what God said should happen? Do you know? Do you guys remember? Think back. We might have to go back in history. Well, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. We don't have time to go into it right now. But if you go back to when Elijah was given this prophecy, all of the sons of Ahab were to die. So here, for the most part, the house of Ahab were to die. 
Jezebel was killed too in this. She was to die. But Elijah didn't say anything about the great men. And he didn't say anything about the kinsfolk. He didn't say anything about his uncles and his cousins or any of the others. It was just of his descendants. Now, of his priests is another topic. We'll talk about that in a minute because those were priests of Baal. But he left none remaining. And then let's look again. When else did he have go too far? If we were to look down through this page. Jackson, you want to read verse um, 13 and 14? Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah. And we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house. Even to forty men, neither left he any of them. So was Jehu supposed to kill these men from Judah? No, he wasn't. So he went too far, right? Okay. Now, we keep going. And the question here is, did Jehu have genuine zeal for the Lord? No. 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 Now, why do you say that? He used deception and lied. He used deception. He says he used deception and lied. Does that sound right? So what did he, let's keep going here. His plan for calling all of the people from Baal worshipers together was to do what with them? Kill them. To kill them. Is that what he told them he was calling them together for? No. So let's read two different passages. Gavin, can you find Romans 3, 8? Elijah, can you find Proverbs 6, 16 through 19? So here's the question here for all of you out there who can't, don't see it. Is read Romans 3, 8 and Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Here's the question. Was Jehu right in the eyes of the Lord to lie in order to destroy the Baal worshipers? No. Now you all jump into conclusions, no. But why do you say no? To lie is a sin. But why do you think to lie is a sin? How do you know that? It says, it says here, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So what things there did Jehu do that God hates? He lied. He lied. But let's look at it a little closer. Is there anything else since we're there? So we're in Proverbs 6. He's reading Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that God hates. He seven are an abomination. 
So he had a lying tongue, right? Did he have hands that shed innocent blood? Yes. yes. Now, was the house of Ahab innocent? No. How about those 42 men from Judah? Were they innocent? Hands that shed innocent blood. And the great men of Jezreel. And the great men of Jezreel. A, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. What do you think that? Do you think Jehu had a heart that devised wicked imaginations from what we've learned about him? Can you all let me be hard on, Je on Je Jehu? Do you think it's fair for me to be hard on him? Maybe go a little bit more in speculation? What do you guys think? I wonder about the device of the wicked imaginations. You know, he devised the lie. Remember also he had those letters going back and forth with the men of Samaria, the princes of Samaria, and getting them to send the heads of them. And then he took the heads, and what did he do? I mean, do you, do you think that taking the heads of your enemy and putting them in baskets on either side of the gate of the city is a wicked imagination? What do you think? I, I agree with you, Owen. Taking the baskets full of 70 heads and putting them on either side, that sounds like an imagination that's wicked. Feet that be swift in running to mission. That's interesting. Especially remember Jehu was the guy. How did he ride his chariot, did it say? Does anybody remember? Gavin, do you remember? How did he ride his chariot? Furiously. Furiously. Mm. Then we have here verse 19. So up above we have a lying tongue. Now we have a false witness that speaketh lies. Was Jehu a false witness? He was a false witness in his plans, wasn't he, with the house of Baal? That's a false witness, right? He that soweth discord among brethren. Now, I got a hard question for you. It was okay to lie in this case, right? Yeah, we, we do lies so that good can come, right? They're all shaking their heads, no, if you can't see. Why do we know that? Because the Bible says not to lie. The Bible says not to lie? Sin. You're right. Now, I had you turn to Romans. Can you read, and let's all turn to Romans, Romans chapter 3. Now, this is a little bit of a complicated verse, but you'll see what it is here. So, Romans chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, you know me, I say we have to read the whole chapter, but we don't have time to read the whole chapter today. So let's look here at verse 8. Gavin, can you read verse 8? And not rather as we be slandery, reported, and some... Affirm that we say, let us do evil, that good may come, whose dimension is just. All right, very good. Let me read it again. See, what's going on here is there's this question about doing evil, that good may come. 
And what Paul is saying here is that we are slanderously reported as believing this. Now, what's going on here is people are saying, you Christians, you say, let's do evil that good may come. Paul says to the Romans that this is a slanderous report. Do you know what it means, a slanderous report? What do you think, Gavin? What do you think it means that it's a slanderous report? How about you, Owen? What do you think it means? It's a slanderous report. It's not true. It's not true. It's not a true report, and it's a report that's being said to make them look bad. It's not true. They don't believe. We don't believe that we do evil that good may come. In fact, Paul follows it up by saying, whose damnation is just. If you, are, if you experience judgment, damnation, for doing evil, even though you say and think, let's do evil, that good may come, the judgment, the damnation you receive is just. So do we do, and should we do evil that good may come? No. Now, this is a lot harder question than we'd like to think. Some of you know what I'm talking about, because we've had conversations about this, Right? Like espionage. Isn't that lying? You guys know what espionage is? Espionage has to do with being spies. Spies do a lot of lying, don't they? Sometimes. Not always. But sometimes they do. So should they? This is a debate among some of you out there. If I'm going to teach your kids. No, I don't think we should. Now, how does that work? And how do Christians be involved in the spy world? It's a hard one, isn't it? Here's my conclusion. We don't plan to lie. Because we know God hates it. And it's an abomination to him. Does that sound what the Bible says? What do you think, Jackson? Should we lie? But Jehu, he was trying to execute the prophets of Baal. So that was okay for him to lie then, right? He was trying to execute the prophets of Baal. In fact, he was trying to obey the law. Did you know that? So let's look at the next question here, which is a red diamond. Now, you guys, you all know the different, what these verses, I'll explain this to all you kids and everybody out there. On the family Bible readings, we have different colors and different shapes. And they stand for different levels of questions. So the round blue circles are milk-level questions. That means they're easy questions. And then the square, green squares, those are bread-level questions. It means they're a little bit harder. You guys can all do the green squares. And then we have red diamonds, and those are meat-level questions. And you know what? You guys might need a little help with the meat-level questions, but you guys can do the meat-level questions. And there, this one is, on a separate sheet of paper, discuss how Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 18 relates to Baal worshipers at Samaria in Jehu's day. So let's go to Deuteronomy 13. So we're going to Deuteronomy. What does that tell you as soon as you know we're going to Deuteronomy? Who wrote Deuteronomy? Moses wrote Deuteronomy. Now, do you guys know what the word Deuteronomy means? It's, 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 it's a Latin word. It means the second law. It doesn't mean there were two laws. It means that it was the second giving 
of the law. So this is the law of Moses, the law of Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, there are laws regarding false prophets and those who worship idols. Now, let's read about the law for Israel in the theocracy. Do you guys know what a theocracy is? Gavin, what do you think a theocracy is? Have you ever heard the word theo? How about you? Theo? What do you think it means? Do you know what Theo means? How about you, Owen? How about this? Theology. You know what theology means? Theology means the study of God. So, Theo means God. Ology means study. All right? So, we have a theocracy. That means God is the rule. Have you heard of God, well, we won't take a lot of time, but it means God rules. And Israel was God ruling, and this is his law, is God is the ruler, having a mediatorial, that means one who goes between, who is a judge or a king. Now, let's look at and listen as I read the last part of this chapter. And let me give you all a little bit of heads up. This is meat level, so I'm going to include all of you. This is one of those passages that to non-Christians and to people who have not been around the Bible have a very hard time with. And it is very important that all of you, first of all, know it's here. Everybody needs to know this is in the law of God, the law of Moses. And secondly, you need to know what the Christian's relationship is to it. What impact do these verses have today? We're being all patriotic this weekend, aren't we? It's Memorial Day, right? All patriotic. And um, you've probably heard people say that America is a Christian nation. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? How many of you heard that America is a Christian nation? Okay. So does that mean that America follows the law of Moses? That should be a lot firmer. Did you hear that one little no? Does that mean that America is, follows the law of Moses? No. No. That is very, very, very important. Yes, we have many godly principles in our form of government and as a nation when our nation was established. But it doesn't mean we are a theocracy and it doesn't mean that the law of Moses is the law of our land. Now you're going to, now to tell you and show you why that is, let's read this passage. And you know what? Heads up. Your ears are going to tingle. How many of you like it when your ears tingle when I say that? How about you, Owen? Do you like it when I say that? No. Here's the law. By the way, this law is good. This law is holy. This law is the ministration of death. Those are all New Testament terms for the law of Moses. But the Christian is not under the law, and this is a law that was for the theocracy of Israel only. Here's the law in the theocracy of Israel. If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, certain men, 
the children of Belial are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Now tell me, at Samaria, was that the case? It actually was. Samaria and in Jezreel and throughout a lot of the northern kingdom, they were worshiping who? Baal. Baal, right? Baal. Gods which ye have not known. Then, verse 14, shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be truth, and the thing is certain, that such an abomination is wrought among you, Thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that sore city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. Now, Samaria was a city like this, right? Right? Tell me, did Jehu inquire? Do you guys know what that word means? What's it mean, William? Ask. Ask. And did he make search? That's like another way of saying ask. Find out the details. Get all the information he can. And ask diligently. Did you do that? Behold, if it be truth. Now, it was truth in Samaria, right? But how did Jehu find it out? How did he find out who the idolaters were? You guys don't remember? How did he find out? By honest inquiry, search, and asking diligently? Well, you might say he did ask, remember? Because he asked, he asked Jonadab, are there any worshipers of Jehovah here? You think that was enough? Well, see, Jehu started off by just lying. He started off using deception. He started off using trickery. He was going to trap them in. If we keep going, it goes on and it really doesn't describe a very nice situation here. Thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every whit, for the Lord thy God. And it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be rebuilt. And there shall not cleave naught of the cursed thing to thine hand. And the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show thee mercy and have compassion upon thee and multiply thee as he hath sworn unto thy fathers." And thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments, which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. Now, if we look at this here, there is judgment, but there's also a comment of showing mercy. Do you know what a lot of this is here? There's an option here for people, if you read this carefully for people to repent. Think about it. Think about Elijah's day. Remember the contest on, on Carmel? 
Elijah dealt with the prophets of Baal? Did he deceive them and trick them? How about all the people who had been deceived and even sinning, which is, even if you're deceived and sinning, it's still sin, in worshiping Baal? On that day, when he was going to judge them and judge all of them, what did Elijah offer them? What did he offer them? Do you remember? Did Elijah just show up and say, anybody who's ever had anything to do with Baal, I'm just going to massacre you? No. He asked them a question. Do you remember the question he asked them? You're Elijah. It was this question. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, Jehovah, then follow him. But if Baal be God, then serve him. I, and I thought he said that to the children of Israel, not the worshipers of Baal. You're right, he did. But see, the difference between what Elijah said to the worshipers of Baal, to the people who would come together, compared to what Jehu did? Elijah challenged them, called them to repentance. Did Jehu do that? Jehu just tricked them. And then, Jehu did. He destroyed the city and he brought all the spoil out and he burned and he was, he's on fire for God, for God, is he? How do we know he wasn't really on fire for God? Because he came and he burned up all of Samaria and he destroyed all of Samaria. So isn't that exactly, he's just doing what Deuteronomy 13 says, right? Well, he is. But he's not doing it because he is a believer in Jehovah. He's doing it because he's trying to do what's best for his own kingdom. And the reason I know that is because why didn't he do the same thing to ban way up north where one golden calf was? And why didn't he do the same thing at Bethel on the southern part of the kingdom where the other golden calf was? See the problem? Jehu doesn't have a zeal for God. He's just burning up it all that, to help himself. He does that which is right in his own eyes. He's not really doing that which is right in God's eyes. Even though God said that some of what he did was indeed right in God's eyes. But in the end, we know, and we're out of time to do this, so you have to, if you guys haven't done this family Bible reading with your moms and dads and all your brothers and sisters, you need to go home and do it. Because the next question is important too. And that is looking at Hosea and 2 Kings and seeing why did God say judgment would come? And that's an important question. Now let me go back to something a little bit heavier. And I'm going to talk to you guys, but I'm going to talk to everybody out there too. So somebody comes to you and says, I don't want to be a Christian. I mean, Christians are mean. I mean, Christians, they, look what the Bible says. If, if they come to a city and they hear about a city who doesn't believe in their God, they should just burn up that city and destroy and kill all the people in it. Like the Crusades. I don't want to be a Christian. How would you answer someone who said that to you? 
Think about it. I have had on it directly been asked this question on three occasions, specifically and indirectly in other occasions in my life. How do you answer this question? You know how you answer it? Well, there's several different ways of answering it and things of clearing it. One of them is to make a distinction that this is the law of Moses for the theocracy of Israel. That's an important answer. You guys know what that means. If you don't know what that means, let's have lunch together sometime. We need to know what that means. It's very important. Israel was a nation where God was king. Yes, there was kings like David. There were judges like Moses and judges like Joshua. But God was the ruler over. Israel actually means prince with God. The nation is a prince with God, God being king. And we're not, the church is not Israel. So some of you, how many of you have heard Pastor Virgil and me say that the church did not replace Israel? Oh, good. Don't take that for granted. You've heard that a lot here, and you may think, oh, will they please stop saying that? I get it. That's really important. That is very important. It's one of the key answers to when you need to answer the gainsayers or the sincere unbeliever asking this question. I have trouble with Deuteronomy 13. I wouldn't think of being a Christian because I couldn't do what Deuteronomy 13 says. One of the key answers here is this isn't about the church. This is about the theocracy of Israel. And by the way, the church does not replace Israel. And you think, of course, duh. We're all patriotic today. This truth has been ingrained in American law and culture. But if you were to evaluate many denominations and churches, official theological positions and doctrines, and if they were unrestrained by the laws of the land, they do do things like this. That's what the Crusades were. People say, I could never be a Christian. Christians act like the Crusaders. You heard about the Crusaders? They would go into cities in the Middle East and on their way to the Middle East, and they would declare, everybody be a Christian. And if you didn't decide to be a Christian, they'd kill you. They'd destroy the city. They'd take over the city. They'd spoil the city. And they thought they were obeying Deuteronomy 13, 12, and following because we are the kingdom of heaven. We're the kingdom of God on earth. But we're not a kingdom. We're a church. We're a body of believers whose job is not to go kill people, but we come into a city where there's idolatry like Paul did. Paul didn't come in and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or die. He came into a city and he preached to them and he reasoned with them from the Bible of the truth of God. And so today, as we think about patriotism and Memorial Day, we rejoice. Yes, I am so thankful to be an American. And indeed, America has so many Christian principles and foundations and true Bible truth. But we're not a theocracy. And this doesn't apply to us. And 
we need to be aware when we read of churches who may be restrained by American law and even their own modern way of thinking, but yet, what's the Bible say? It's a legitimate question for someone to come to you and say, I have a hard time being a Christian if Christians do this to cities. Is that, is that a fair question? So how do we answer it? We need to give a good answer. And so we need to be really alert to these kinds of things. You guys have any questions? I know you do. I know all of us have questions. So let's take time today around the table. Let's share together. Let's talk together. Let's encourage each other. Let's, let's talk through some of these. How would we ask this? There's a sense of devil's advocate, but avoid the devil's advocate. Stick with the sincere questions. Of the three times that this has directly been asked to me, they've been in different environments. And, and one of them, I'm not sure if it was sincere or not. I'm not even sure if it was coherent. It was in a living room that was filled with smoke from marijuana. But other times, we're in conversations with very intelligent intellectuals, brilliant people, who sincerely struggled with these pieces. How do we answer? That's why I put these together, and I hope you're doing them, and I hope as a family you're talking through them because they will prepare you for these kinds of questions. And sometimes our own children have these questions. And in reading through the Bibles, reading through these family Bible readings, it will help us to address it for our children who may be just a little afraid to ask it, thinking that it's a dumb question. So, you know, I don't think there's anything as a dumb question. I think questions should be asked kindly and respectfully, but don't ever be afraid to ask questions if you think it's, it's a good thing, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. May it make a difference in our lives. And Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit and use us that when we are asked questions of the hope that is within us, we indeed might have an answer ready to share. We praise you now in Christ's name. Amen.